Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Oh, no, it was yet another PR nightmare week for the Texans, a rotten week for the Rockets, and even the Houston Cougar basketball program wasn't spared from disappointment in the last few days. The only minor salvation during this podcast is uh, we're going to have some slight good news from the Astros. This episode might be rated R, though, for just plain rotten. Uh, joining me is my co-host and regular sidekick. Uh, you hear laughing in the background. A fellow H-Town sports junkie, longtime journalist, Stephen Curran. Stephen, unfortunately, we need to start with used car salesman Cal and faith healer Jack, or maybe we just call them dumb and dumber. Well, can we start out with something positive, Robert? It snowed in Austin, where I live, yesterday on, on Sunday. Uh, that was pretty cool. I mean, I'm trying to come up with something to start off this podcast in a positive light. So... I got to go out and play in the snow in Austin. I think you guys just got rain in Houston. So, you know, at least from my standpoint, I'm I'm off to a good start. Uh, I was hoping that 2021 would start turning the tide away from 2020. But, yeah, it it sounds like it's same old Texans, same old Rockets, kind of same old Astros in in some ways. Um, But I assume you're referring to the – Nick Casario, Cal McNair press conference and the sell job that they're going to have to do not only on their fans, but on Deshaun Watson, for goodness sake. Yeah, you mentioned snow. Uh, I, I feel like uh, we, we've had snow for the last couple of years in Houston. We've had a huge snow job by yeah, one, snow jobs, right. one Jack Easterby. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let, let me let me lay that. Let me lay out what's been reported so far, just in uh, just so we're on the same page. So here's the deal. Cal McNair makes this huge deal about hiring consulting firm to handle the GM and coaching search. He then interviews several people for the position. Faith healer Jack, Jack Easterby, of course, is not part of the interviews. So far, so good. All that's great. Now, there were at least four candidates who said, if Jack Easterby is in the building, I don't want to work here. They were Lewis Reddick, Marvin Lewis, Omar Khan from the Steelers and Trent Kirchner from the Seahawks. And apparently it was almost a done deal with Omar Khan. So some pretty respected names. That's all good. This is where Faith Healer Jack walks into the picture this week. So local radio host Lance Erline says he heard from a very, very reliable source. And and this seems to be confirmed by other places that this is exactly how it goes down. Faith Healer Jack goes to Cal McNair's house and says, we need to pray about this GM search. At some point in their prayer, he says God is telling him Nick Casario is the man for the job. Next thing you know, used car salesman Cal says, done deal, and offers Nick <laughs> Carstereo the third highest GM salary in the NFL. Steven, can I offer you tickets next year for the Edsel of NFL franchises? <laughs> Yeah, and Carstereo, I like that. Nick Nick Carstereo, that's pretty good. Uh, Robert, why are we really surprised about all this, though? Because this whole Nick Carstereo saga has been going on, what, since 2018, and, and Easterby's involvement last year. So it, it's no wonder, really, that Deshaun Watson and, and fans are, are kind of upset with the way this whole thing has gone down. Because, look, the, uh, Casario didn't just fall into the Texans' lap all of a sudden. And, and why would Cal McNair spend all this money? I've even forgotten how much he spent on this consulting firm, uh, Corn Ferry, whom they used before, back when Bob McNair was the owner. You know, they, they wasted all that. He wasn't, Nick Asario's name wasn't even on their list. So I, I don't understand this whole situation. But again, as I said a little while ago, it's 2021, but it's the same old Texans, I guess. Let me ask you about this Deshaun situation, because Deshaun, we're hearing he wants out. He's not happy that he's not been included in the decision-making process. My feeling on Deshaun is, you know, they, they've got him under contract for five years. So if you're the Texans, you've got the next few months to repair everything. And if you're Casario, you just made your job four zillion times harder if you're going to go, okay, we're going to try to trade Deshaun Watson because nobody's going to show up in that building. I don't care if COVID is going on or not. If there's no COVID, I think it'll be very clear that no Deshaun Watson 
Stephen, nobody's coming to, to the Texans games. You have to get the Deshaun thing corrected. And if you're Casario, that's all you should be doing in the next few months. Well, that's absolutely true. Robert, if, if the Texans trade DeAndre Hopkins, I, I guess anything is possible. But listen, if they trade Deshaun Watson, I, I, I think fans are going to start rooting for the Titans before they're going to root for the Texans or, or somebody else. Because I just don't see how, I mean, look, he just signed a, a four-year extension, $156 million, as you pointed out. It, this thing with the Texans, this whole saga of how the team has been run has been going on even before Deshaun got there. So in my mind, Deshaun should, I, I, you know, he should certainly know what was going on before he signed that extension. So how he could suddenly become unhappy to the point where he would want to be traded I, I've got to tap the brakes on that a little bit and put that on Deshaun. But having said that, you're absolutely right. The, the management has got to step in and keep Deshaun happy somehow, some way. But this whole general manager search, I mean, what is your star quarterback or, or any player really? What kind of input are they going to have on that search? Now, when you're talking about the head coach, totally different story. And And again, though, at the end of the day, the team is going to do what they're going to do whether they have input from their star players or not. Well, I mean, yeah, of course they are. But I, the the thing is, you go, what impact should the star quarterback have? Well, if you just sign the star quarterback for another five years, and I don't know what was implicated in that signing, then he's looking at the future of his career. He's looking at a team that looks like it has no idea how to run things. And he was promised certain things, and they haven't delivered on it. And, you know, I, there's definitely an understanding of why he's upset. Now, this is also on Deshaun because there is a story out there. This is true because the guy that held up the sign, I heard call up a radio show, held up a sign at, at a Texans game criticizing Jack Easterby. Deshaun comes over there and says, oh, put the sign that, down. That's disrespectful, blah, blah. You know, he defends Jack Easterby to the fan with the sign that's going after Jack and that tells me that Deshaun, you know, might might have been in Jack's corner. He might have got hustled by Jack Easterby too. And so this is partly on him because if he walks into Cal McNair's office and says, "I want out of here unless Easterby's gone," then Easterby's gone. I mean, there there's not a question at that point because if you're Cal McNair and man, the guy's must be dumber than a rock. I mean, no offense, but I mean, this is the way he's gotten hustled on all this is a joke. Um, but he's not going to get rid of Deshaun. I mean, somebody would step in there and say, look, enough is enough. You know, Jack Easterby isn't selling us any tickets. Deshaun Watson's selling us tickets. And yeah, there's COVID going on. That's another thing to consider, Stephen, is this COVID thing hurt the Texans in a big way because if used car salesman Cal saw how empty the stands were without a pandemic, I say he realizes how much he's lost this fan base, especially coming off a playoff appearance. Bottom line, we know this in sports. Money talks. It absolutely does. And, and that kind of goes back to what I said a, a couple of minutes ago about this being on Deshaun to some degree. Deshaun has known what the state of the Texans has been before he signed that contract. Nobody put a gun to Deshaun's head and made him sign that extension. He could have just held and said, no, I'm, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with, with the direction this team is going. I'm going to wait. I, I'm not sure I'm going to, you know, he, he, he could have done the James Harden thing and said, no, nah, I don't know that I want to sign an extension, but he signed it. So that tells me that he is staking his future on the Texans sink or swim. So if these things continue to happen, yes, I, I don't blame Deshaun for being upset in certain situations. But at the end of the day, if you sign that extension, then you're casting your lots with your team for the next Five plus years. You and I are speaking Monday morning. There has been no hire as you and I are speaking. I'll check my phone just to make sure, but yeah. no, no coach has been hired yet. But the odds on favorite right now is Brian Dayball. I mean, that's what we're hearing because Brian Dayball, OC for the Buffalo Bills, was with the Patriots. Guess what? It's another Patriots guy. And he has the same agent as Easterby. And Casario. So there you go. That That's likely going to be the guy. Now, Deshaun might not be that disappointed if he's the head coach. And, and then maybe you can say, hey, Deshaun, to appease you, you like Tim Kelly. We're going to keep Tim Kelly. 
because if if I'm Deshaun, look, he's done a really incredible job with Josh Allen. Last year, I watched Josh Allen against the Texans, and I was like, he's an athlete. He's not a quarterback. It was night. I watched that game on Saturday. It was night and day. It's like, what happened to the Josh Allen that we saw a year ago? This guy looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And frankly, looking at all of the games this weekend, Stephen, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. Josh Allen was the best quarterback that I saw better than Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, better than all of those guys. And frankly, he's the only guy that I would put into Sean Watson's class that I've seen uh, this, this past weekend, uh, as far as his class that I've seen Deshaun Watson playing this past season. I mean, that was the only guy. So Dayball might not be a bad decision, but somehow you're going to have to make sure that Deshaun Watson is okay with the Brian Dayball decision. By the way, uh, one other thing. Um, there's no way that Eric Bieniemy, a guy that he wanted to, to, to interview, is going to come here because he's got the same thing that all the rest of the guys have, an allergy to Jack Easterby. Yeah, apparently so. And, and uh, you know, that is a guy that Deshaun wanted. But here's, you know, we got to look at this, Robert, that all these guys we're talking about, you know, whether it's Eric Bieniemy, Brian Dable, these guys, as successful as they have been, they still have not been head coaches before. They're, they're starting with a clean slate. Yes, they've been in a winning culture. But as we've seen with so many Patriots coaches who have gone on their own, you know, Matt, Patricia, et cetera, et cetera, that does not equate success necessarily. So as high as everybody is on Eric B. Enemy, he's still got to prove it once he becomes a head coach, wherever that in, ends up being. And the same goes for Brian Dable. Now, I, I think it's a no-brainer that whomever the Texans bring in has got to be an offensive mind because you've got to build around your star quarterback. That's a given. So someone like Brian Dable, I, I could live with that. You know, the question is, can Deshaun live with that? And is he going to be given that input with the head coach like he apparently wasn't with the GM search? I'm going to disagree with you. I, I think it's not, it shouldn't be a given, and it's not a given that it's an offensive mind. Like I said, though, Dayball is the guy that's the lead, the lead candidate. But if you're the Texans, you go, hey, if we get a defensive guy in and straighten that out, then we've got Deshaun Watson. And so I, if I'm the, if, if I'm the general manager, it's much easier to figure out how to make the offense good when Deshaun Watson is your quarterback. Well, that's true. But if, if you're going to do that, then you've got to make sure, let, let's say you're, let's say it's Robert Saleh, for instance, if, if it's Robert Saleh, then you better make sure you hire an offensive coordinator, or if you're going to keep Tim Kelly, then you better make sure that that offense really is indeed designed for Deshaun and not just designed for the coach who's who's implementing it because you, you want to make sure that that offense is going to be run properly. And you still have to have the guys around you. You know, Deshaun, as we've seen, he can't do it all by himself. The, the Texans might have been even worse than the Jets if Deshaun hadn't been playing. So those four wins were certainly as much on Deshaun as anyone. So, yeah, if you're going to have a defensive mind, and I'm not saying it, it, it shouldn't happen, but you better make sure that that offensive scheme is right for the quarterback you're trying to build around and put the guys around him like a Will Fuller, you know, like a, another star wide receiver or two to give Deshaun some people to throw to and, of course, get a running game on top of that. Well, you just said it, though. I mean, they have Tim Kelly. They don't have to. You know, it would be a good thing, I think, for Deshaun Watson to go into next year with the same system. It would make his life easier to bring in somebody that doesn't have to worry about the offense, that they can just hand it over to Tim Kelly. And I'm not saying Tim Kelly's the be-all, end-all, but it looked pretty good. I mean, the, it, it, if you and I are being honest, and we've talked about this, and I, I keep beating this dead horse, but it's worth beating because if you get the offensive line straight, which I think that's a new offensive line coach, and Casario, as was told on our podcast and we'll tease that again later but Chris Semino Patriots Insider came on the podcast talking about Casario and one of the things he said is Casario is really good at picking offensive linemen if you get the offensive line straight I like the offense a lot get a running back that's real that would help too but yeah I mean I I feel like it's it's a much easier fix to fix the defense than it is to make the offense even better than it already has been the last year. Well, that is certainly the case. And yeah, you straighten up the offensive line, not just from you know, preventing sacks for Deshaun, but getting a running game that can set up the passing game and then let Deshaun do his magic, then all the better. 
So, yeah, it's just going to be interesting. You know, the, the Texans, one down and one to go, basically. You've got your general manager in place. Now we wait and see who the head coach is going to be and all the speculation that's surrounding it until that happens. Oh, it is going to be such a nasty year if somehow this gets even worse, uh, the situation with Deshaun, and you lose potentially James Harden, Deshaun Watson, uh, George Springer, Justin, I mean, we've listed some of the names just in the last year. DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, it is, it's, it'd be nuts to have to lose all of those guys. And it's just, it, for a Houston sports fan, this has been so difficult because these are the guys that you get attached to. This is the reason why you come to the games. It's the reason we do these podcasts, Robert. Are we going to have to change the name to, you know, I don't know, Texas Sports Talk or, you know, just, just center on some other place because... Well, you know, you trade all these guys, what are you going to have to talk about except a bunch of losing seasons or just, you know, a bunch of disgruntled fans not showing up at games? Yeah, we, we may have to change the name of the podcast if this continues. Let's go to this press conference that, on Friday because I, I just want to get your thoughts. Was there anything that you found interesting? or? Well, the fact that Cal McNair even made an appearance and, and actually said something. I mean, that that's a first, isn't it? He hasn't had one. Since he's been the owner, so that that in itself, I guess, is I don't know if it's a plus or not, but at least it's something of note. You know, I, I mean, I thought Casario was he was more forthcoming than I thought he would be. You know, my biggest question was, so is he going to try to do the Bill Belichick culture thing and say very little, give the usual, well, not coach speak, but GM speak in this case? I, I mean, I thought he was at least fairly well versed in what he was pretty specific, I guess, about what the role was going to be for him. And he's going to be the one making the decisions, blah, blah, blah. That all remains to be seen. But at least at this point, he hasn't said or done anything that, that really raises my antenna to the negative just yet. And again, we got to give the guy a chance, you know, say what you will about how much influence Jack used to be had or didn't have. Nick Casario is here. So let's give the guy a chance. He was with the Patriots for 20 years. Let's see what he can do. And then we can start taking pot shots at him if things go wrong. The one thing that stuck out for me with Casario was before he answered any question, he would say to whoever asked the question, that was a great question. And, and <laughs> according to uh, our guy, Chris Semino, who was on yesterday, he said that that's pretty much how he does things. That, that, that made me laugh. So he, no, he, this guy is anything but Belichick in a press conference. In fact, Right. I found him much more engaging than Brian Gain even. And I asked Houston Sports Talk Twitter if they felt better about Casario, their new car stereo after the press conference, and 41% said no. So it, it was it did not help. 41% said no. That led to polling. 38% said yes. It, it was a close. And then, but 28% said they felt worse about him. So I don't know. I'm not sure how, how you feel worse about him uh, after hearing him. But the, the one thing that... Uh, uh, I, I, I thought was my favorite moment of the press conference, Stephen, was when Cal McNair said the Texans were trying to build a wall. These jokes are just too easy to write. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many jokes can we make about that and make it a political podcast? <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it's just, it, at least it was refreshing, Robert. I will say that. It was refreshing. What What was refreshing? The The, the press conference, at least it, to some degree, was refreshing, I think from what we were expecting and certainly from what we've been getting from the previous general manager or managers, actually. From the Casario standpoint, you're saying it was right from the Casario standpoint. Absolutely. If you listen to the press conference, though, the audio quality as it goes along becomes a disaster about halfway through, which I thought, well, that pretty much epitomizes the Texans as a franchise. Forget about the little things. They can't get. The big things, right? The little things. I mean, it, it's just, it's always something with these guys. Yeah, it is always something. And I guess, you know, I, I've heard other press conferences with teams too, though. And when you're using Zoom, it's, it's a whole different ball game. And that, that's a day-to-day -day thing. But yeah, just one more thing, I guess you can say about the Texans. They, they can't even get their press conference technical stuff right. Cal was asked to list the specific skills Jack Easterby has to warrant his position in the Texans organization. Steven, he couldn't name one. It was funny because Casario kind of comes in, if you remember the press conference, like right after he tried, he, he basically filibusters for about two or three sentences and Casario tries to name some stuff, but really, come on, what, what is this, what skills does this guy have except 
oh, he, he can put little uh, bumper sticker phrases around the locker room or so. I don't know what, what else he does. Well, doesn't it make you wonder, and you've even brought this up before on the podcast, Robert, doesn't it make you wonder just how involved is Cal McNair with his football team, you know, and, and how well he knows his people? Obviously not very much. If you can't even, you know, if, if you can't even get some kind of owner speak to answer the question about Jack Easterby, then how involved is this guy in the team to begin with? It's a mess. I mean, you know, I don't know what else to say. We can all see it. Apparently, everybody in the world can see it except the one guy that's running the franchise. It's an amazing story. Yeah, the most important guy in the room, by the way. Yeah. The owner. Exactly. Uh, Before we leave the Texans again, make sure you listen to our last podcast if you haven't. Fascinating conversation with Patriots insider Chris Semino about Casario. He's followed the Patriots for years. He's covered them. This is a credentialed guy. He'll tell you what Casario is good at and what he's not good at. So you'll definitely want to check that out. Before we get to the Rockets, Steven, maybe we need a palate cleanser. Let's get the bad taste out of our mouth. Give me some Astros conversation that doesn't make me want to ram my head into the wall. Okay, so you, you are asking me to talk about the Astros and, and put a positive spin on it, right? That I, I just want to make sure that's what you're asking me. Yeah, do it. Do it. You can do it. I, I can, actually. I mean, the Astros did make some positive news. Uh, they have gotten some bullpen help. They signed former Rays first-rounder pitcher Ryan Stanek. He's a right-handed, hard-throwing pitcher. They Just a one-year deal, $1.1 million. Uh, the Rays had selected him in 2013 in the draft. Now, they traded him to the Marlins in 2019. And, you know, the last couple of seasons, he hasn't exactly been great. With the Rays, he had a 355 ERA. He had uh, struck out 10.8 batters per nine innings and 121 appearances. It didn't go so well after being traded. Uh, in less than two seasons, he did allow seven home runs in 31 and a third innings at a 6.03 ERA, but he he only pitched 10 innings in the abbreviated 2020 season. So, you know, that that's a pretty small sample size there. The Marlins uh, didn't offer him a tender for this season, so that's where he became a free agent, and the Astros picked him up. As I mentioned, he's a hard-throwing right-hander, pretty good fastball. He threw, he threw 96 miles per hour with the Marlins last season. So, you know, the, the Astros have been known to take pitchers off the dump heap. We could name a few, certainly, and we have. So, I mean, if you're, if you're looking at this from a positive standpoint, the Astros did get some bullpen help. You can never have too many bullpen pitchers. So we'll just see what happens when Ryan Stanek comes in and uh, when spring training gets underway, if this is a good fit for the Astros. I got a text after the Ryan Stanek deal with the Astros from one of my best friends. And he's from up in Missouri, which is where Stanek's family is from. And he said, uh, I may have played Little League Baseball against Ryan Stanek's dad or his uncle. He also said, or I may have drank cheap beer in their vicinity later. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) I said, you were were drinking cheap beer in Little League? Was that buttermaker who was your coach and he said no that was later in high school <laughs> oh, okay i was gonna say did did he did they have beer leagues in baseball now i know they have them in hockey all the time so i wasn't sure i wasn't sure where that was going but uh, well that's an interesting text and so that is one positive news now the astros did make another minor move i mean these aren't splashes that it, it it's certainly the, the ryan stanick signing certainly didn't uh, steal the headlines of the francisco lindor trade or anything like that But they did sign a a deal with outfielder Jose Siri uh, with an invitation to Major League Spring Training. Now, he has yet to play in a Major League game. So, again, this isn't something that I think we should jump up and down about in expectations. But, hey, the Astros need outfielders. And, you know, he could possibly down the road be something the Astros might look at. I I don't know that he's going to make the club this year, maybe in the minor leagues. He was in the Giants 60-man player pool this past season, originally signed with the Reds in 2012's international pool. Uh, but that's another minor move that the Astros did make. So at least if, if you want to keep things positive, the Astros are making some moves, albeit ones with names that you probably never heard of. That's going to be a fun name to play with, too, if you're an Astros yeah, fan. Yeah, Jose Siri. You know, I wonder if we should – of course, if I say it out loud, my, my Siri might go off, so I better be careful. <laughs> That's that's hey that's some good news. I mean, look, Ryan Stanek. Let, let's go back to him for a second because he he's a power pitcher, 
and he's somebody that you know our GM has seen up close, James Click, and and somebody right. also that you would think is if they're if they're focusing on him, my guess is they think that's somebody Brent Strom could work with. Well, it, it's funny you say that because I was thinking the very same same thing when they signed him. Is okay. Well, he does have an association with James Click, and even though it's a small sample size with the Astros GM, I, I've got to trust James Click. And, and the moves he makes until he screws one up. So that's a plus. And the fact that Brent Strom, you know, we, what is it you call him, Robert, the, the pitcher whisperer? You know, if, if he can whisper a few, few things in Ryan Stanek's ear and help him get back to at least some of the form he was, maybe even better when he was with Tampa Bay, then, hey, that's, that's nothing but good news for the Astros. Is that all you got? We, we don't have any uh, – the Astros have signed Michael Brantley back or – you know, they're, they've gotten a, a new center fielder like a Jackie Bradley or something like that. <laughs> no, but we, we can say that uh, George Springer has still not signed a contract with anyone, the Astros or anyone. So, you know, there's there's some positive news right now. The, you know, the Astros, un, until he signs on the dotted line, I guess you can say the Astros still have a shot at bringing George Springer and Michael Brantley back. Yeah, that's good news. Uh, the The one thing that I saw in baseball this week that really jumped out at me I don't know if you saw this story, but because uh, everything it's it's like all this stuff kind of has gotten hit it, hidden with COVID. You know, the Astros cheating scandal, that was all front front page, uh, big story, ESPN, blah, blah, blah. And everybody was talking about it. But over the last few months, there's been all these like little stories, like where the athletics said they talked to a ton of different people that said 99 percent of pitchers were putting substance on baseballs. And then this story comes out where this guy with the Angels organization who was uh, fired, let go, whatever, he comes out and says, look, I, I gave this substance to everybody, not just like the Astros, like Justin Verlander he mentioned and Garrett Cole, but he he throws in Adam Wainwright, Max Scherzer, blah, blah, blah. He just starts naming names. There were about a dozen pitchers in that thing, right. Which tells me that, hey, maybe hitters get to cheat because all the pitchers are cheating. All the pitchers are cheating, Steven. Well, Robert, this is not anything new. I mean, pitchers have been putting substances on the ball since baseball was invented, I think, you know, and maybe even in Abner Doubleday's time, for all I know. I mean, this is, to me, is just not a big story in the sense that it, it is big because it's the Astros. And now, you know, everything negative that comes out that involves the Astros or an Astros player or two, yeah, it, it's probably going to have carry more weight just because of the Astros cheating scandal. You know, it's funny. My first thought when I saw this story is, gee, imagine that. The Astros are mentioned in another cheating scandal. Who would have thought in a sarcastic way? But look, I, I don't condone cheating of any nature. Don't get me wrong. But this is just not something that is going to make me jump up and go, oh, no. You know, the guy, did, he was a visiting club attendant for the Angels. Sure, he probably did it with every team in both leagues. And yeah, there were some reports, uh, you know, that of text between him and Justin Verlander and things of that nature. But come on, this this is just an, another story in a long line of them that has been going on for decades and decades in baseball. Yeah, that was uh, that was quite a story. Also, this week, and and we'll go back to positive because you mentioned Jose Siri and Stanek and all that. But maybe this guy is the the best of the guys that they signed. Period. They. Astros signed Pedro Leon, five-tool player uh, who might be an all-star at some point, according to a lot of people, who's one of the top international prospects. Uh, according to Michael Schwab, I, I read that he's 100% signing with the Astros on January the 15th. So later this week, uh, you know, Baseball America ranked him number one on their international prospects. Number one. That's That's good. Yeah, that certainly is good. And the Astros need to keep that international pool up and running, especially with the way they've depleted their farm system, you know, in the last few years. So that is something. Uh, Pedro Leon could be a name that uh, we really want to keep an eye on over the next couple of years or so, because he is a very highly touted player. That's for sure. I'm always excited just to see what these international players and prospects do, you know, when they come over here. And the Astros certainly have had success with that in the past. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to definitely remember the name Pedro Leon and keep an eye on him. Yeah, so you throw all those three guys together, and, and it could have been a really good week for the Astros to wait and see on some of these guys. But at least they are players that 
you go, oh, the Astros have gotten some guys because there's not a lot of action going on in baseball right now. So that's good. Uh, there was some sad news also. This we keep losing, we keep losing Hall of Fame baseball players. Yeah, we certainly do, and managers too. Tommy Lasorda. You know, if you've been an Astros fan for a long time, you knew he managed the Dodgers. He played for the Dodgers. He coached on the Dodgers when Walter Alston was their manager. In fact, he took over for Walter Alston in the 70s as the Dodgers manager and managed them for a long time. You know, my my favorite Tommy Lasorda story really doesn't involve Tommy himself. But, of course, I as you did, Robert, I grew up an Astros fan, and I would watch Astros games with my grandparents. And my grandmother had this crush on Tommy Lasorda. I think she loved his, <laughs> just his, well, you know, Tommy Lasorda was such a gregarious, outgoing personality. She just loved those kind of guys. You know, she couldn't stand people that had stone faces. She didn't like Bill Verdon for that reason. She didn't like Tom Landry for that reason. But she loved Tommy Lasorda. She always called him her boyfriend. I don't know how my grandfather felt about that, but <laughs> she just loved Tommy Lasorda. And, and I enjoy it. I think... A headline in the Los Angeles Times that I saw last week, Robert, summed it up pretty well. Tommy Lasorda loved the Dodgers so much that he became the Dodgers. I don't think I could have said it better myself. Yeah, he was the Dodgers. And the other guy that was the Dodgers is Vin Scully, who, you know, he lost his wife recently. Uh, She'd been fighting ALS. And, you know, I saw him tweet out, it's been tough for him with losing you know, both her and Lasorda. And of course, uh, you know, Scully, you know, just I'm sure that relationship was really close after all those years that he was with the Dodgers organization, all the years that Tommy was with the Dodgers organization. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Look, the, the Astros and Dodgers certainly were rivals in the National League West for many years. But, you know, no matter how you feel about an opposing team, there are just certain guys on those teams that you at least have to admire and respect because of who they are and what they did and what they achieved, Vince Scully is definitely one. Tommy Lasorda is certainly one as well. And you, you just you had to respect what he did, a winning manager and just a great guy. You, you loved when, when he was on television or, or even if you just watch him manage a game, you just you had to have all the respect in the world for Tommy Lasorda. A couple of things I, I think about when you, you're, you were talking. First of all, I, I don't think your grandmother would like Tommy Lasorda's mouth. He was known to throw out a few curse words, if you remember. Oh, she did too. Oh, she she wouldn't care. Trust me. <laughs> she was like that herself. <laughs> the other thing about Tommy is that if you think about it, is there anybody that is more opposite than Bill O'Brien than Tommy Lasorda? Uh, no. Although, you know, as I said, you know, Astros manager Bill Verdon in the 70s, he was, you know, she always called them stone face. And the same with Tom Landry. Th- those were the guys that she would equate to I can't stand those guys, but that, I love Tommy Lasorda. You know, unfortunately, she felt the same way about Pete Rose. And, of course, Pete Rose, you know, that was before all the betting stuff came out. So she just she loved the, the people who hustled or the guys that just had those outgoing personalities like Lasorda did. I guess the reason I say he was different than Bill O'Brien, both guys, you saw their emotions on their face when they were doing their job. But the, the difference was Tommy Lasorda – Happy, jovial, positive, liked the media, played with the media, did all that sort of stuff. Not Bill O'Brien. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. And guess what? Even by doing all those things, Tommy Lasorda won championships. And the fact that Bill O'Brien didn't do those things, didn't win championships, well, there you go. That says it all right there. Yeah. Not only did he win championships, Tommy, but he he did one of the more miracle jobs pasting that Dodgers team in 88 together and getting, you know, basically a broken down Kirk Gibson through the playoffs. And, you know, the one at bat that he had in the world series is, is unforgettable. And then Oral Hershiser. And and if you look at the rest of that team, there's a couple other decent pitchers, but you know, a Belcher, whatever, but it's it just, I mean, that, that squad it, it was one of the worst world series. It might've been the worst world War series team that you can think of as far as talent goes. Well, there you go. And that that's where, yes, you do have to have the talent, but sometimes you just have to have the right guy to lead. And Tommy Lasorda was as much of a leader as anybody you'll find in any sport. Okay. So we got the positive out of the way with some Astros moves. And of course, uh, we got the, the, the real harsh stuff with the Texans. 
this is bad, but maybe there's a middle with the, with the Rockets uh, because, you know, I mean, geez, Houston sports, sometimes it just appears like it's a dam that has holes with water that keeps busting open. And as quickly as you close one leak, another one opens. It's kind of like the, the virus has been this past year. It's like as soon as, oh, we got this fixed. Oh, but now this guy is out and whatever. Um, they played four teams since last Monday, the Rockets did. And it, it looked like at times, okay, they're getting guys back and, you know, this, they're starting to get things together. But then, you know, Harden goes out with the ankle injury, so he misses the first game of the week. And what happens this week was just awful. They lost to the Mavericks by 13, the Pacers by 7, the Lakers by 18. They weren't – none of these games were really all that close. Their one win was a, against a Magic team who looked like a G League team after a bunch of injuries had uh, decimated them. What struck you most – about this past week, Stephen, when you look at what happened with the Rockets? Well, I think I have to say that as much as we want to cheer for these guys, and, and we certainly do, the fact remains is that, you know, they're they're all still trying to get used to each other. And then you add the, the injuries and the COVID things and all the other distractions that, that the Rockets, I, I just think, you know, as much as we can take pot shots at them and say, well, they're certainly not at the level that the Lakers are, and that was obvious, but... They're just it, it's just going to take some time. I, I still want to say that they need time, you know, to gel together and start getting more consistent. And obviously, you know, the Lakers just beat them to death in the transition game. They had 32 fast break points. That's something that's got to improve. The defense, while it's been good at times, is still not great. You know, unfortunately, though, you're playing in the Western Conference. You don't have a lot of time to get your act together. And at three and five, you know, you got to start wondering after eight games. And remember, it's only a 72 game season. If the Rockets are still trying to figure it out, they better do it in a hurry. Or heaven forbid, Robert, they may not even make the playoffs at this rate. You and I said before this whole thing started, I think we made the point. Look, a new coach, a bunch of new guys, a short season, games every other day. It's hard to piece all that together that quickly. The Rockets are worst case scenario of a team that's having to deal with a season like this where you really needed a team that had most of their guys coming back, to be honest with you. Yeah, and then there is still the James Harden saga, whether we like it or not. You know, some people are, are questioning the fact that is, is he really engaged? And how many, how many years have we talked about? Is James Harden engaged? Uh, I, I think I read somewhere that at the game at Toyota Center on Sunday against the Lakers, when, when James Harden made yet another turnover, I read where a fan actually yelled out, wake up, Harden. <laughs> so, yeah, unfortunately, the Rockets still have that over their heads. And it remains to be seen what's going to happen with the whole Harden situation down the road. Yeah, let me circle back to Harden in a couple of seconds, because I'll start off by saying, you know, people are asking, where is this vaunted Steven Silas new offensive scheme we've heard about? And I'd say it's one of two issues. It's either going to take this team a while to figure it out because they haven't played in the system, or maybe it helps to have... Luca running your offense instead of Harden and Wall. You hope it's number one and not number two if you're a Silas fan and if you're a Rockets fan. But there's also the thought, Stephen, that Harden's been injured the last week, that he never recovered from that ankle injury that kept him out for a game. He hasn't looked the same, obviously, since then. It's hard to tell, you know, as far as I can see, but he obviously is not putting up Harden numbers. No, he certainly isn't. I think he had 20 points, but he, he had a bunch of turnovers and I think it's fair to say that, Robert. And unfortunately, when you've put yourself in the position that James Harden has put himself in, every little negative thing is going to be magnified 10 times over. Oh, he's just not trying. He he really does want out of here. He's, he's not engaged with his teammates. He's not doing this. He's not doing that. So, yeah, I'd say at least for now, maybe you, you have to cut him some slack as far as maybe he hasn't gotten over the ankle injury. And look, as, as far as Steven, Steven Silas's offense, you know, we talked about on the last podcast, Robert, at, at least – you know, for the most part, they've been taking more disciplined shots, that the shot selection has been better. Look, sometimes the threes are going to fall and sometimes they're not. It, it is still predicated on the three-point shot, but they are getting more drives to the hoop. And, and as great as Christian Wood has been, the, the one thing that has stuck out with me about him, certainly, especially this week, is his early foul trouble. If he gets into early foul trouble, then the Rockets are in trouble. Because then, you, you know, you had DeMarcus Cousins in there, and he made a three, and he made some good things happen. But then the old DeMarcus Cousins rears his head, and fair or not, 
you know, he, he gets into that scrap with Markeith Morris, and then he takes a swing at what, you know, was supposed to be the ball and ended up being LeBron James's head, and he gets ejected because he has a second technical. So, you know, these are things the Rockets are going to have to figure out if they're going to have a successful season and, and, and even be in the running to make a run at a championship. Yeah, I mean, if you're Steven Silas, maybe coming into the season, it's like, well, how do I hold back the minutes on Boogie Cousins? Well, we're going to start Christian Wood and whatever. Maybe the best way to hold back Boogie Cousins' minutes is just let him play because he's going to get technical fouls and get kicked out of game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you, you'll definitely hold back his minutes, but unfortunately it, it hurts the team when you do that. So these are just, you know, the, the Rockets still have a lot of questions, and I don't think in, unless you're just not a realist – that you thought that suddenly with a new head coach and a, and a whole new set of faces that the Rockets were going to challenge the Lakers. I mean, it's clear the Lakers are above and beyond the best team right now. They still have another game Tuesday night as we're recording this against the Lakers. So maybe the Rockets can come out and at least make a much better effort, but they still have a ways to go. And that's obvious. Well, let me ask you this because you talked about the three point shooting and I, I wanted to bring that up. I'm going to ask you this question. Are the Rockets a bad three-point shooting team? Because look, Eric Gordon still shoots a lot, but he's not good anymore. He's 28% as we speak. Nwaba, Wall, Wood, Boogie, and Tate. Those five guys, they're not good. They're bad three-point shooters from what I can see at this particular time. Now, maybe Boogie and Wood can get up to average because you know they have a a little bit of a history that says maybe that 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 could be their medium, but I'm not buying it yet. Harden, Sterling Brown, House, and Tucker, I would call them average three-point shooters at best. And by the way, you maybe guessed that Sterling Brown isn't going to keep up his current pace of 52%. We'll see. And we know Tucker isn't going to stay at 54%, although he started the year red hot when he does shoot the basketball. The only good three-point shooter on the team, Stephen, is... Ben McLemore, do you think they're a bad three-point shooting team, and is that going to be a problem? Oh, it's absolutely going to be a problem. No, I, they're definitely not good. They're, they're not good enough, certainly not good enough, if, even if they did make the playoffs, to take them deep into a playoff run. There, there's absolutely no question about that. You know, we keep waiting for Eric Gordon to find it. How many more years, you know, is it going to take for him to find it? Daniel House isn't even playing right now because he's injured. So, yeah, the Rockets absolutely are falling fall short, uh, far short of – shooting the three-pointers that they're so known for. I want to speak to Eric Gordon for just one second, though. And even though his three-point shooting has not been good to start the year, I see a lot of people on Twitter saying, oh, Eric Gordon, he's terrible. We need to get rid of him. You know, there, there's constant criti criticizing of Eric Gordon. But Eric Gordon, Stephen, I still think this guy, even with his not-so-good three-point shooting, he's still one of the best two-way six men in the NBA. And if you're a six man, th th there's this thought that Eric Gordon should be great every night. If he was great every night, he wouldn't be a sixth man. Yeah, absolutely. And he has started before. I mean, he's been both. I, I think he does better as a sixth man, honestly. I, you know, maybe not with the shots falling and things like that. But Eric Gordon does give you the intangibles that you need coming off the bench. And I think he's one of the reasons the Rockets bench has at times looked pretty good. How many six men in the NBA, go go find him. How many six men could give you 20 points a night? He's, you know, he's had nights where he's scored way more than 20 points. Last, was it 50 last year one night? Yeah. He, he got, and then, you know, how many guys could do that on any particular night and play great defense? And he's a really, really good defensive player. Oh, and, and if there's anything the Rockets need is they need defensive players. I mean, you take Eric Gordon out of the mix, and you think the defense is inconsistent or bad now, it would be much worse. So, no, I, I have never said that the Rockets should get rid of Eric Gordon. I just would like to see more consistency from him, you know, especially on nights when the Rockets really need those threes to fall or, or just the shots in general to fall. They need him to come through. But, no, I absolutely am against getting rid of Eric Gordon. I mean, who are you going to bring in at this point that's going to be that much better? Everybody just looks at his salary and, you know, whatever. I— you know, to me, it, it's like you can afford to have a, a six man that is as good as Eric Gordon and pay him $20 million a year. You definitely can do that. And, you know, winning championships is usually about your first two or three guys. And that's where the Rockets have got to get some improvement. And, and let me just I, I'll, I'll give you a, a couple of positives before we finish up with the Rockets. Number one, Nawaba 
Wall and James Harden are, are all averaging more than 20 points a game. And I, I, that looks like, I mean, not Nawaba, uh, uh, Christian Wood, Wall and, and Harden are all averaging that. That looks totally sustainable. You know, Christian Wood, I, I think he can keep up this pace from everything that I've seen. And yes, as we talked about, there are deficiencies defensively. It's going to take time. He's going to figure out. He does some things that are really good out there. It's just a lot of this defense, Stephen, from what I'm seeing early, is just figuring out where guys should be because there are players on this team that are really good defensive players that I've been incredibly impressed with. Christian Wood's not there yet, of course, but John Wall is a big improvement over Russell Westbrook. Jay Sean Tate needs to play more because he is fantastic defensively. I really like what I see from him. He's not going to stop LeBron James, yes, but most guys aren't going to do that, and that's okay. Um, and, and if you look at you know, a Nawaba or a Sterling Brown, they, they all get in, in your grill. They get in your face. And some of the defense has been, you know, with the Lakers game specifically, it was transition defense that was terrible. You know, some of this is just the stupid turnovers that they have that lead to fast break and easy points. And you can't play defense if you're committing turnovers, you know, out near the top of the circle. That's going to kill you every single time. And James Harden is the king at that. But I, I really love some elements about this team. And to me, it's just a matter of these guys coming together. But I don't know if you've got the time this year, like we said earlier. Yeah, I, I think that that's really it for me, Robert. As, as much as I would love to see the Rockets get in the playoffs, go deep, you know, and, and challenge somebody like the Lakers, I'm just not sure it's realistic right now. I think you have to give them that time. And unfortunately, they, this is not going to bode well if you're trying to make the playoffs or certainly go deep. And, and look, you know, when you consider where John Wall has been, I think he's doing a wonderful job. I mean, I, I love just seeing his hustle and the fact that he is playing as well as he is. And Christian Wood, I still think that there's upside to his game. I, I think he's only going to get better just, you know, working on the foul trouble early and some of the things about his, his defensive game. I think he's going to be fine. I, I think that the Rockets definitely knew what they were doing when they signed him. And one of the things, and I mentioned this a few minutes ago with the Lakers game, one of the things that will make the Rockets defense better is They've just got to be much better at the transition game, especially giving up so many fast break points like they did the Lakers. You know, they if they can cut down on some of that, then the defense is certainly going to be better over the long haul. Yeah, part of that is just the Lakers specifically are so good at transition sure. because you've got Absolutely. LeBron and AD and all that. But um, last thing I wanted to mention, uh, Houston sports related, that was a big story this week that might have been under the radar for some people, but I know U of H fans are going to know about this, but this is big. UH sophomore guard Caleb Mills, conference preseason player of the year, decides to transfer. Steven, this kind of goes under the radar, like I said, with all the other garbage happening locally, but it's huge. Publicly, he said he wanted to move closer to his home in North Carolina, but I heard from a good source that this is about him no longer starting. If that's true, it's kind of dumb. Who cares? You're leaving one of the best teams in the country, a team with real national championships, oops, because you're not starting? I don't, I don't like that. Yeah, unfortunately, it's unfortunate. And you knew something was kind of awry when, you know, the first thing we heard is that he was stepping away from the program for the time being because of personal reasons. And, you know, usually when it's something like that, there, there's a lot more to it than that. And most of the time it comes out. And so there you go. It comes out. He's actually going to transfer you know, some of these guys, I, I just, what can you say? Almost all athletes have egos. They think that they should be in the starting lineup. You know, I, I certainly didn't play sports on the level that a lot of these guys did. But, you know, even in an amateur situation, I felt I should be starting over somebody else. But, you know, when you let it get the best of you, then it's unfortunate, both for Caleb Mills and the Cougars. And I, I still think they can make a good run. But not having him in there, you know, in any role, it is, is certainly it, it's a sad situation as far as the Cougars are concerned. But you just you have to wish all the best to Caleb Mills. And you know what? If he goes somewhere else where he's happier and he's closer to his family and he does well, then all the better for him. Unless, of course, he plays the, against the Cougars. It's a killer, though. I mean, it, I, I, good for Caleb Mills. I don't <laughs> I don't have any personal stake in Caleb Mills if he goes somewhere else to do better. But it's a killer for the Cougars. You know, one thing that's it important that's worth noting is he'd been fighting an ankle injury. So maybe that played into why he wasn't starting. I don't know. I don't know what Kelvin Sampson 
was doing there. But let's just look at who's starting instead of him. A McDonald's All-American, Quentin Grimes, and Marcus Sasser, who's dropping over 16 points a game. It wasn't like it's a bunch of dud guys that are starting in front of him. And, and he was dealing with the ankle injury from from my understanding for the last few weeks. So it's just real frustrating if you're a Cougars fan because they were a good nine deep. And the one thing about Caleb Mills, he could create his own shot. You need that kind of guy in a tournament situation. And if the Cougars want to win the championship, this makes it quite a bit harder. I'm not worried about this team's defense or rebounding because they're extraordinary at that. That's going to want, that's going to make them a contender for the national championship. But you know, you're going to need to go against some of the best defenses in the country. So you need somebody that in a pinch can get off his own shot. And Caleb Mills was that kind of player. Yeah. And if there's one thing the Cougars have had trouble with, certainly over the last couple of years, uh, is their shooting consistency. And when they get into these stretches where they just go completely cold, well, that's the last thing you need in a tournament game. And somebody like Caleb Mills, when he can get in and when he gets a hot hand, he can change the complexion of a game easily. But, you know, Kelvin Sampson, if, if there's anything that we know about Kelvin Sampson, he is a team guy and he expects his players to be team players. And if Caleb Mills is, is thinking more about him, himself being in the starting lineup than just being a part of a good team, then that probably didn't bode well for Kelvin Sampson, or, or at least it didn't sit too well with him. So there, there could be some of that going on too. If people don't know, Kelvin Sampson... He doesn't screw around. He's not some new school guy. <laughs> no, he is as intense as you'll ever see. And he demands a lot from his players. He gets on them. I mean, all of them, even the star players. So Caleb Mills was certainly not one that was going to escape that. You know, I just I just felt like the Cougars could really make a legit run. Now I'm not so sure if they can get much beyond the Sweet 16. I think they're still a Sweet 16 team with, you know, the weapons that they do have and the defense that they have. It, it just got a lot tougher to get to that final four. That next step is a real hard step, and it's a steep one. So Yeah, it certainly is. But at least, Robert, you know, the, the Cougars are still, at, at least at this moment, there's still a good story to talk about with, with all the bad stuff going on that, that we've even talked about on this podcast. There's still a bright, shining light. So when, until that run stops, then <laughs> we need to hang on to the Cougars as being a, a, a good Houston sports story right now. Uh, amen to that. Yeah, just... uh. Let us know what you think. Um, don't forget to go back and check out um, a couple podcasts that we did last week. One of them on the Throwback Thursday, the Bills Oilers. Did you notice, Stephen, that Frank Reich went into Buffalo and couldn't dash anybody's dreams this time? Uh, but <laughs> but he was helping Buffalo again with some weird play calling. Yeah, he certainly was. That's true. And that was a great – I enjoyed listening to that uh, that interview with Tom Franklin. I know I heard it when you first did it a couple of years ago, but – it was great to hear it again because there were some things about it I'd forgotten. So that was a great one. Yeah, and again, Chris Semino, Patriots Insider. I say last week. It was yesterday, Sunday, but technically that is last week. Uh, reminder also to let us know what you think. You can always Twitter, Facebook, or email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. Stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>